Just wow. I don't know if it's because it's the first year or so much is going on or, you know, I'm 50 now or something. It just was never, it was never on my mind. I don't know if other pastors experienced that, but, uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, uh, uh, Christy, I couldn't do this without you, sweetheart. Uh, you apart from Christ you're the greatest blessing God has ever given me and uh, thank you sweetheart and and uh, you four are the greatest treasures God has given us so uh, I'm truly a blessed man and um, in this in this church uh, body I tell you what is the greatest blessing um, that God has given me this church family is unbelievable and how about we get into the word today? Amen. I'm going to ask you to go to Luke 18. Um, um, <clears throat> you know, we're uh, going over the um, parables of Jesus. It's interesting, uh, you know, prayer was brought up uh, in, in some instances this morning, but we're going to go over the persistent widow today and see what we can glean from that in the Lord. Luke uh, 18, and I'll just read those eight verses, and uh, uh, we're going to go, we're going to sprinkle out a few more verses as we go through it this morning. Uh, I'll read the for those first eight verses, and then we'll... We'll go back through them. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That's the New King James Version. So, he's speaking in a parable here. He's speaking in terms that they can practically understand in order to reveal spiritual truths that are not so plain. but can be understood by way of the parable. And in this parable, a poor, powerless widow. It doesn't mention who her adversary is, but it's pretty obvious that whoever it is, they're taking advantage of her as a widow. And she appears to be a widow indeed, which means not only does she no longer have the husband that she was married to, no longer has he, not only has he passed away, there is no one else, family-wise, friend-wise, that's close to her, that can stand for her and fight for her and support her. So she's having to do it herself. She's poor. She's helpless. She's without a support system. Man, how heartless of an individual must this adversary be in order to take advantage of one like her? Now, what does it say? How, what does it say that she does? In this parable, though she be in this condition, 
She's going to the judge whose job it is to give her justice. Only problem is, this judge is not a man of God. He doesn't fear God. And he doesn't particularly like people. He has no respect for mankind. He's not going to be appealed to out of human compassion. That's a tough set of circumstances for someone who has no ability to get justice outside of the system doing what it's supposed to do. And the people working within that system doing what's right and just and proper. Right? And as she came to him asking for the justice... He did not dismiss her case saying that it was baseless. He just didn't care. She apparently had a good case. And he would not give her justice for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God, I'm not even worried about what God might do to me. I don't fear God. So, I don't know why he was a judge in the first place. I mean, he took an oath. I don't fear God. I have no regard for man. But apparently he did appreciate being able to have peace. Because this woman was persistent. His apathy did not deter her. His disregard for her situation did not make her quit. She needed justice. She wanted justice. He was the one through whom justice could be provided. And she was going to die trying to get him to do his job. Right? She was persistent. She did not let the circumstances discourage her. She was persistent and she believed that justice was hers to be had. She didn't disrespect the authority. But she held the authority accountable to do his job. How many of you know that's allowed? You can respectfully hold authority accountable. If you, you won't ever see this, but if you see me boozing it up at the bars, going clubbing, I'm sure there's some other example that can come. You know what? You hold me accountable to what's right or to what's true. I invite the accountability. If you hear me preaching something that is not Bible, I am not above being held accountable. As a matter of fact, I welcome the accountability. Amen? And so she was not disrespectful, but she knew it was his job to give justice in those situations, and she was going to hold him to doing his job. And she was so persistent in it, he didn't do it because it was the right thing to do. He didn't do it because his heart was convicted. He finally said, I'm going to do this. Otherwise, she's going to weary me. She's going to trouble me until I, she's going to wear me out, basically. It's obvious to me she's not going anywhere unless I give her justice. So if I want to have peace of mind, if I want to go about my life, and enjoy my day, I'm going to have to give her justice because she is not going away. And here's what Jesus is drawing away from that parable. He says, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. Look at this. He is basically 
this is really weird because this is not a just judge. The unjust judge is the character that's in the God role in this parable. He's using them as an example. If the unjust judge will answer the prayer or request of a widow due to her persistence, how much more can the holy and will the holy and just God hear the cries of his people? When they cry out, when they pray day and night, come through for you. It's kind of an interesting, I don't know, analogy or juxtaposition or whatever you want to, whatever $10 word you want to use there. Dichotomy, whatever. It's interesting that we have an unjust judge, but he does it to make a point. Even an unjust judge with impure motives due to persistent requesting, persistent prayer will eventually wear down and give you what you want. And he uses that as inspiration to us so that we do not faint in our prayers to him. Shall God not avenge his own elect to cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? You know, and he's saying God's timing may not be our timing. The answer may be on its way. Will we persist? Will we be like the persistent widow and continue to pray in faith and believe God that he is faithful? That he will come through, that he has heard us, that he will do what his word says he will do. And even though it didn't come, I wanted it to be here in 24 hours. That was 72 hours ago, you know. God, so uh, does that mean God's not going to answer it? No, God's going to answer it. But what it does mean is we're going to have to adjust our time scale and say, God, I'm asking you to do a work here. But the most important thing is not that I get my way, but that you be glorified in this matter. So I'm going to trust you, God, that you're going to faithfully answer that prayer. But I'm also going to trust you with however you do it. It doesn't have to be, I'll just let you know what I need. I'm not going to let, I'm not going to demand how you do it, when you do it, or the way that you do it. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to hang in there as long as it takes. Whichever route your will takes in order to accomplish it and however way you want to do it. Though he bears long with them. And then it seems, it seems I've always had trouble with this. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. That doesn't mean you're going to get a quick answer to prayer. He just said, though he bears long with them. It just means in God's timing, when it's time, when he declares it's time that the answer, that, that the answer to that prayer happened, it's going to happen. So you're going to have to wait on his timing, but when it happens, it's going to happen quickly. Amen? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? In other words, will we tarry in faith? When God decides to move, will those who ask him to move still be walking and moving in faith, still be standing in faith when he decides it's time? Or have we given up? Because we put preconditions on him that weren't met. And we got tired of waiting and moved on. That's the challenge to us. Be like the persistent widow. Persevere in prayer. Believe God that he is faithful with 
We trust him without borders, without parameters, without limitations, without preconditions. We're going to trust you, God. And we're going to keep on trusting you. And we're going to keep on praying, not in doubt, fear, and unbelief, but in faith. We're going to continue to believe that you are who the Bible says you are and that you will do what the Bible says you'll do. Conditions don't matter and don't change that. All right? And so, I think, uh, I want you to go back to Luke uh, chapter 3 real quick. Because You got to remember they're under Roman rule, right? And so uh, this is not necessarily a godly system of justice that is uh, implemented here. And so uh, to a certain degree, this parable, if you look at the backdrop of it, you know, people that have whose hearts have been touched by God's word. You know, John the Baptist was in the wilderness. He was preaching God's word. He's preparing the way for Jesus and uh, and everything. And he, in, uh, let's go to Luke. I said chapter three, right? Uh, we could do the first 20 verses, but we're just going to do seven to 14. Let's just go. Verses 7 to 14. People have begun to come out to him. They've heard him. They're wondering if he is the promised Messiah. They're, they're, they, they, they've come out. They've been convicted in a way that, that they're coming out and they're asking, what, what must we do? How, how can we, how, in what ways do we need to change? We're ready to repent. Just inform us. Give us the truth. And he said to the multitude that came out, you know, I don't think his congregation was ever going to be very big if he were to pastor a church because John, he didn't sugarcoat anything and uh, uh, he didn't mind being offensive. But these people are coming to hear him and he says to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, Bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. You know, I want to say something here and I'm not going to park here very long, but man, there's a lot to unpack just from that one line right there. Okay. And so he follows up saying, bear fruits worthy of repentance. So when we are repenting, we've come to the Lord, there should be fruit that is manifested, that's evident of the change that's happened within us, right? And so he's challenging them to that, all right? And we ha- and he said, don't even think, don't even begin to try and trust in your lineage, all right? Don't, don't, don't say you're, don't think you're good just because you're Abraham is your, is your forefather. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones if he wants to. You know what? Your past is not your identity. For the good or for the bad. All right? If, if you've got a, a past that's littered with peril, that's littered with all kinds of bondage and generational curses and, and, and all kinds of, 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 of evil doing that you were engaged in and so forth. You know what? In Jesus, you are a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new in him. Your past doesn't own you. Your past is no longer your identity. You have a new identity in the son of God. All right? So there is hope. There is life in Jesus for you. There, there, there is newness of life in Jesus for you. But if you've had it good, and, and, and the, the other side of that coin is true also. Hey, you could have had a, 
a, a grandmom and a granddad, a, a mom and dad, grandparents, great-grandparents. You could have a lineage of people who have walked with God and served God and loved God, but you can't lean on that and depend on that and think that you're good because your ancestors were people of God. God's going to have to become your God. Jesus is going to have to become your Savior. So what our past was is what it was. It does not own us for the good or for the bad. We have business to do with God in Christ. And he has to become our Lord, our Savior, our God. We have to walk with him in a personal and intimate way. Amen? So, so, so we can't trust in what our ancestors did and, and, and we also can't be held captive in bondage by it either. Amen? And he says, and even now, the axe is laid uh, to the stone. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, and here's what I really want to get into. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? Like, we can't trust in, in our lineage. Well, what, what can we do? You know, and he began, to, now these people came up to be baptized. These are repentant people. You know, he should have a smile on his face. He should be excited. And he's just lighting into them. But so the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Give to them who do not have food. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized. And he said to them, you know, they're not everyone's favorite people. Teacher, what shall we do? I mean, this message of the kingdom, I tell you what, it convicts you where you're at. You know, we... It, we need to stop trying to reason with people and trying to, to, to make and implore people. You right? You present the gospel. You present the love of Jesus. You, 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 you laid that truth out before them and, and you're planting seeds. Those who are ready and ripe for the harvest, they'll respond. It's going to take a little longer for the others. And so you're not going to reap the harvest of every seed you plant. Someone else may reap. The harvest. You just be faithful in planting the seed. God waters. God gives the increase. Amen? And so the tax collectors came to be baptized and they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And, and he says to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Uh, one of my previous messages I pointed out why tax collectors were not liked they didn't just take the taxes that were appointed they took extra and profited and made themselves wealthy off of that okay and so he says take no more no more taxes than what is appointed likewise the soldiers asked him saying and what shall we do now and these are people who lay their lives down on the line these are people who serve their country dutifully honorably and yet it doesn't it doesn't matter how dutifully and honorable of a how honorable of a profession you're in, you're still accountable to God in that. There's authority in tax collecting, right? There's authority, okay, in 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 in, in being in the military, being a soldier. And he says to them, "Do not intimidate anyone, or accuse falsely, falsely, and be content." With your wages. These are very practical things. But he's saying you need to conduct yourselves and live in such a way that's fruitful, that gives evidence to the one whom you serve, the one whom, the one whom you are, uh, surrendered your life to. And we can go on, but, uh, he also, John also spoke to authorities, um, he ended up being imprisoned and being beheaded for doing that, for higher authorities, with Herod. He told him it was wrong. 
that he divorced his wife and then took his brother's wife as his own. And so he just spoke the truth of God. Didn't matter the title of the people uh, who he was speaking to. He just spoke the truth. So that's the backdrop. And this judge is one of those people in authority. Right? And it's funny here. God didn't have to intervene in this situation, in this parable. Her persistence paid off. But God doesn't have to miraculously intervene in every situation. The authorities that be, whether they acknowledge it or not, are ordained by God and are therefore accountable to God. He's able to change their heart. And I'm going to say that again. The authorities, no matter where they are, it could be king, uh, president, senator, congressperson, whatever, city official, law enforcement official, whatever it is, uh, pastor, uh, whatever it is, that authority is ordained by God and is therefore accountable to God. And we ought to remember that in our persistent prayer. Just hold them accountable. We're going to speak the truth. We're going to appeal to you on the basis of God's truth. You will either do right by that or you won't. We're not going to get ugly. We're not going to smear you. We're not going to do all this stuff, but we're also not going to let it go. Because you may not regard me but you're accountable to the one who sits on the heavenly throne. And I may be limited in my ability to persuade you or to move you, but he's not. He can speak to you in your dreams. He knows how to, te- how to touch your heart. He knows how to convict you and move you. Now, will I have enough faith to trust him in my prayer? Or will I move in my own strength, in my own feelings, in my own motivation? And and if it doesn't work, I'm done. Can we trust God in a pandemic? Can we trust God with with social unrest? Can, can, Can we trust God, you know, with if there is corruption in our systems of justice, can we trust God through that? I say, yes, we can. And I will say again, they are, their authority is ordained by God, but it also makes them accountable to God. So this parable, now I, I want, I want to, I wanted to really point that out. This judge, Whether he acknowledged it or not, his authority was ordained by God and he was accountable to him. And this uh, faithful elderly lady divorced, going solo, persisted, persisted, persisted until He bowed down and gave her justice. So, and he uses this to say, to encourage us to always pray and not to lose heart. We as the hearers of this word must identify with the widowed woman. She's us. She's us. And her story 
should inspire us. I thought, I say, God, you are no joke. Um, I felt like you wanted me to teach on this, but <laughs> uh, when I got into this and started realizing how relevant it is in some way, <laughs> in a lot of ways to, to our current situation um, in our country, uh, I just began to chuckle. But this woman is facing a um, she's struggling with a let's just say a less than perfect or unjust system. In her situation I don't know if the whole system is unjust necessarily but in her situation the one who presided over her situation is an unjust individual. Therefore she's dealing with She's having to overcome him. And so her story inspires us that if she can move, her persistence can move an unjust judge to do justice for her. Think of what our God can do for us. You know, the system doesn't have to be perfect. The system doesn't have to be filled with justice because our hope in our peace, in, in the source of, of our uh, strength, is not in the system. The government, all government, rests on his shoulders, Jesus' shoulders. All right? And so I don't find, uh, to be honest with you, I don't find much hope in, in legislative, in, in legislation, but I, I do respect its importance to our society. But as a son of God, my peace, my joy, my strength, my hope, my faith rests in the God of my salvation and the truth of his holy word. Amen. And, and, and I would challenge us as the people of God to be like minded. Amen. And this story can inspire us because we don't have an unjust God. We have a just one. We have a faithful one. I want to go back to the issue of uh, accountability and we'll finish back in um, Luke 18. Obviously, the purpose of this parable is to encourage us to persevere in our faith against all opposition, against all odds, against all circumstances that would tempt us to give up. But I love the persistence of this widow because she was like, you know what? You're going to give me justice by God. You will. By God, you're going to give me justice. Well, I don't go back to what I said about accountability. Remember, and I'm going to, I said it three times already. I'm going to say it a fourth time. Whether they acknowledge it or not, governmental authorities or any, any authority, whether it's business, government, or whatever, they're ordained by God, and as a result, they are accountable to God as to how they conduct themselves and carry out the duties of their respective positions. Accountability may frustrate leaders, but it is necessary to keep them on the straight and narrow path. The same is true of us all. You know why? Well, one verse speaks to it. I didn't give you, give you that back there, Desiree, but it's Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Our heart, we can be deceived. We can convince ourselves that actions that are not justifiable are somehow justified. We can get all morally relativistic, relativistic, there we go. 
and somehow good becomes bad, bad becomes good, truth becomes a lie, lie becomes a truth, and, and we can be surprised at what we can convince ourselves of. But being accountable before God, accountable to his word, and being accountable to others in the Lord will help us stay on the straight and narrow path. We cannot do it alone. Are you hearing me? And so that's why accountability is vitally important. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9 is that scripture reference. So there is hope through accountability and persistent prayer that even in the midst of systemic injustice, justice may be done in the name of Jesus. Amen? We can do the best that we can do to impact that. At the end of the day, God's going to make it happen. He is the one who fights for us. Uh, first, Peter, I got a few verses in closing few verses I want to share with you about, to me, that speak to the issue of prayer and the impact prayer can have in various aspects of our lives. Okay? Second Peter 2. I'm going to read four or five verses, 13 to 17. I'd like to give the context there. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors. As to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So, I can submit myself to the authorities that are ordained of God and I can hold them accountable to the same, at the same time, right? I can honor them, all right, and speak God's truth to them at the same time, all right? As a matter of fact, if I'm too afraid to do so, I'm not really honoring them before God in the way that he would have me do because that accountability, holding we have to realize the accountability needed by leaders, a lot of times it's going to come to come through those of us who are under their leadership. Which is why I invite the accountability. Uh, let's go on. Uh, that, that was more of necessarily, not necessarily prayer, but the importance of both honoring and accountability uh, uh, toward leaders. First uh, Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know what? We may not know what the will of God is as far as what he's called us to do, what his ultimate calling is for us. We may not know what our promised land is as far as whether we're going to be an evangelist or a pastor or, or something or another. But there are certain things that are the will of God for all of us that we need to pay attention to. And, 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 and one of those things is rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and everything give thanks. That is the will of God for all of us. I can't rejoice always if my trust is in the system. It, it breaks down too much. It, it, it's too limited and flawed. It, it cannot address, you know, it may address some of the uh, extreme actions or, or people who act out. It may be able to punish those individuals, but it does nothing to change the heart. It does nothing to heal. That work is done in the spirit. Amen? All right. James 5, verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. We should be doing that. 
confessing our sins to one another, praying for one another, that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You know what? There is power in your praying. If we can humble ourselves enough to confess our trespasses, if I've offended you, I'm going to own up to that. If I've unfairly judged you, I'm going, to un- I'm going to own up to that. If I've missed the mark somewhere, I'm going to own up to that. All right? And I'm going to trust that, that and I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And I'll be willing to make myself accountable to you because I want to walk right with God. Amen? And if you love me, you'll hold me accountable. You'll pray with me. And it says that you may be healed. How many of you know that that prayer can lead to healing? So prayer can heal. Matthew 26 verse 41 says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you have ever struggled with temptation? What can we do in the moment of temptation? Let's not forget that weapon of prayer. Let's also not forget that what I mentioned earlier about accountability. There's a brother or a sister that you know loves the Lord, that you know walk with God, that you know you can confide in, that you know is going to elevate the good in you. Or elevate you to the standard of God. Then elevate the good. And, and th- th- that option is always available to us. And, and how often do we take advantage of that? Probably not as often as we should. All right? And so what we need to do is be reminded of that. Who can I call in this moment? Who can I text and say, hey, can you, can you, can, can, can you talk for a little bit? I, 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 I need... Some encouragement. I need some accountability. You don't have to put all the gory details in there. Just let the person know and some idea, give them some idea of what, of what the issue pertains to. But watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. When the flesh tries to strengthen itself, uh, or when the flesh, flesh, tries to flex <laughs> I'll put it up. when the flesh tries to flex all right you know that, that there is a tried and true way all right to 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 beat it down we've got God's word we know the truth of God's word we enter into prayer we invite God to do that work in us and we invite another brother or sister in that moment to help us whether that the storm that our flesh is trying to create in that moment. Does that make sense to you? Uh, Luke 27, Luke 6, verses 27 and 28 say, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. I don't know if anybody in here is sitting here today and you're thinking at at any point about somebody who just recently really ticked you off. Who really just did you dirty. (laughs) All right. And if you want to know how you should be dealing with that, Luke 6 verse 27 and 28 is a good start. Because we can choose to dwell there. We can choose to let the flesh have its way, let the flesh have its full say, and because it feels good to just really let the person twist in the wind and let them feel the full might of your disapproval of them and so forth. Just to let them know fully how much they have hurt you. And you want them to suffer some consequences. You don't want to pray for them. That's the reason I'm feeling this way. 
But I tell you, that one, that brief moment of, I don't know, I wouldn't say euphoria or whatever pleasure that you get out of whatever spiteful thing you do to that person or or uh, however good it might make you feel to just really twist the knife or just to really uh, judge them and condemn them and so forth. You know what? That doesn't benefit you at all in the slightest. All It's a matter of fact, all it does is hurt you. Because at the end of the day, okay, you've been, you've been wounded. You've been hurt. You need to heal. But you don't realize it, but every time you are, you choose not to forgive that person. Every time you choose to say, uh, bad words and walk in judgment and condemnation of that person, you, you are pulling the scab every time and you're just making, you're, you're preventing the wound from healing. The wound doesn't go away. Okay? The only way it can, the healing process can start is if we decide, we choose in obedience to God that we're going to forgive by the grace of God. And we invite God, Lord, help me. I don't know how to walk in this forgiveness, Father, but I choose to forgive. I choose to obey you. I choose to forgive and to pray for and to bless, not curse, the person who has caused me this hurt or who has caused me this shame or who has caused me this pain. I'm choosing to do this out of obedience, out of faith and obedience to you. And Lord, I'm not, I'm not sure how to walk that out. But Father God, I'm just going to trust you to show me by your grace. Just show me how to walk in the forgiveness and love that I'm choosing right now. And God is faithful. I said God is faithful. So he says, love your enemies, your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. That's a boy. And pray for those who spitefully use you. Just like the woman with the unjust judge and dealing with imperfect systems of justice and, and, and legislature and all that other stuff, you know. Um, we said earlier that despite the injustice of it, despite the flaws and imperfections of it, we can, this, the widow persisted until the man who could give her justice gave her justice. If we persist in obeying God, loving our enemies, doing good to those who hate us, blessing those who curse us, and praying for those who spitefully use us. You know, the things that are beyond our limitations, it, it, it releases God. It gives God an opportunity to get in and, 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 and reach hearts. They know they're spitefully using you. And yet, they see that you're not trying to fight fire with fire. They know that they're cursing you. Imagine for them to learn that you're blessing them, knowing that they're cursing you. At some point, their hearts might be hard at first, but over time, God's going to break through that stony ground. People that know that they hate you, and they know that you know that they hate you, and yet you do good to them. Remember, it's not about us. It's about the one we serve. It's about the one whose name we're called after, Christ, right? And whether we're going to represent him in the earth according to biblical truth. Amen? Not, not, not according to what is socially acceptable or what is commonly done, but according to what is biblical truth. And the church was, is silent. Sorry. And I will finish it up in Acts 2.21. Very familiar passage. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, that's prayer. 
Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, we can't even get saved without prayer. Amen? If we're going to have to confess our sin, we're going to have to confess our condition before God, and we're going to have to accept the gift of salvation in Christ. We're going to have to declare him to be the Lord and Savior of all, right? And ourselves sinners in need of salvation and ask him to come into our hearts. So there's salvation in prayer. There is healing and there's salvation. Prayers avail much. If we humble ourselves and confess to one another and pray for one another. Prayer can help us resist temptation. Is there no wonder then, there should be no wonder then why we should persist in it. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to stand. Hallelujah. I hope this ministered to you today. It's amazing what we can learn from God. But we can learn through the stories of unnamed individuals in the Bible. It's another individual. We don't know a name. We don't know a family. It's just a, a, a character and a parable. In an eight-verse, simple little story that speaks so much. I won't call uh, you up today, and uh, I just believe God has spoken what needed to be spoken uh, through me. I believe that uh, the message is loud and clear, and uh, it's just a matter of decision. I, I, I don't know. Um, how diligent uh, we all have been in prayer. I know myself, um, I've got some work to do there. I can learn from the persistent widow. And I've been personally convicted to commit myself to, to, to prayer before God. I'm going to challenge you to do the same. Your troubles the things you're anxious about, the things that you're concerned and worried about, the issues that you've struggled with and, 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 and all the things that are in our surrounding circumstances locally and throughout the country and so forth. The time is now to stop lingering in that anxiety and fear and, 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 and to stop pressing in our own strength to deal with things. The time is now to trust God without borders. Instead of fighting against the and trying to stop the waters from rising because we don't want to be in above our head. We don't want we don't want to be in waters that we might potentially drown in. Let's just rely on the grace of God and just go and just allow ourselves to go deeper into that water with him and trust that he's going to keep us afloat. He's going to enable to he's going to enable us not to just swim in the deep waters, but to walk on those waters. He will move. Maybe not as soon as you want him to, but he will move. And when he moves, when he says it's time, will he still find faith in us? Will he still find us praying? 
Will he still find us believing in the goodness of God, in the faithfulness of God, still waiting for him to move because there's no doubt in our minds, there's no doubt in our hearts that he will do so. If that's not where we're at, there's no condemnation. This is just a challenge for us that I'm putting the vision before you that that's what we ought to be striving for. And so I would encourage you be like the persistent widow. Make your plea before the good and just God who's always faithful, who has never failed us yet. And persist. And keep on persisting until he moves. Father, we just declare your goodness and your faithfulness. We declare you to be a just God. One that will never fail us. One that will never leave us confounded. Father, we believed the lies that our circumstances have convinced us of. We believed the unjust and ungodly advice and, 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 and words from suspicious and dubious sources that try to incite us to believe things that are not godly, to think in ways that are not godly, to speak in ways that are not godly, to conduct ourselves in ways that are not godly. And Father God, those are the things that draw us, the temptations that pull us away from the straight and narrow path, the, 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 the righteous path in you, in Christ. Those, when that happens, it speaks to our lack of trust in you. It speaks to our fears, our doubts. Father, it is my prayer that it is all of our prayers to say, Father God, our borders are going down. We're trusting you. We're going into the deep water with you. And every time I feel anxious, every time I feel fearful, every time I feel doubtful, every time I'm tempted to act, think, or speak, or conduct myself in a way contrary to what I know to be right in your word, I'm not going to forget to pray. And I'm not going to forget to invite a loving brother or sister to be to hold me accountable and to exhort and encourage me in the way that I should go. And we will do that, Father, because we love you. And we love you because you first loved us and gave your son Jesus on the cross that we might be reconciled with you. Hallelujah. And I know that as we do these things, Father, it will only help our light to shine brighter in a dark and evil and perverse world. Um, the world needs the sons and daughters of God to let our light so shine among them that they can see our good works and glorify you in heaven, Father God. May we do these, do this work out of love and obedience for you that our light may shine bright for you. And those walking in darkness whom Jesus died for can see the light, be convicted, huh, and give their hearts, surrender their hearts and lives to you in Jesus' name and thereby be reconciled to you and enter into eternal life. That's our heart. That's our prayer. That's our desire. Make us more like Christ that we might partner with you in that way, which will please your heart. Father, bless your people in this endeavor. Your grace is sufficient for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for leading us and guiding us and convicting us and making all this possible. 
Father, in Jesus' name we pray.